With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on, kids? My name is Ray Route, and welcome to the Dear Pats Nation podcast on this Thursday, February the 10th, 2022. It's Friday, Junior. 7.30 start time tonight, and it'll be a 7.30 start time moving forward, people. Uh, I got to be a father, and I got to do some fatherly things, and... Uh, no offense to you guys, but being a father means a lot more to me than this podcast. So we will be starting at 7.30 moving forward. Let's talk a little bit about Mac Jones being a bala. How about Gerard Mayo? Loves New England too much to leave. Bunch of other stuff. Guys, we are brought to you by our partners over at Ultra Game. Go get decked out in some premium licensed NFL gear. It's none of that knockoff junk. It's none of that cheap stuff. It's quality licensed NFL gear. They're actually one of the largest licensed NFL um, apparel distributors in North America. Go check out Ultra Game, link in the description. And of course, as always, we are a part of the Dean Blundell Podcast Network. You can see all the stuff I'm doing over there, blogs, podcasts, that kind of thing. But just go to DeanBlundell.com. Over 100 content creators and podcasts, so much stuff over there. So proud to be a part of the Dean Blundell Podcast Network. With that being said, let's bring in producer Mike and let's get this show started. What's going on, Mikey? How are you? What's going on, Ray? You live in the dream? Oh, living the dream. Almost Friday. Friday Junior. I Let's you know go. When we first started the Dear Pats Nation podcast, it was Connor and I, and we were Tuesday and Thursday. That was it. It was before we went five days a week on Sportscaster. And I loved Thursdays because I got to hang with Connor and yep. I knew that tomorrow was Friday. Yep. So that was the uh, that was the best part about it. Uh, but let's why don't we talk some Patriots, shall we? Because sure. I, I got some stuff I want to talk about. Let's do it. So Gerard Mayo was in, interviewed the other day, and he was asked about being a defensive coordinator, asked about leaving the New England Patriots, taking a job somewhere else. Has he been offered a job somewhere else? 
as we know in New England, him and Steve Belichick are sort of the co-defensive coordinators. None of them, both of them don't hold the title. Right. Matt Judon did confirm. Steve Belichick calls the defensive plays. Gerard Mayo apparently leads the meetings. We'll get a little bit more into that. But uh, when Gerard Mayo was asked, like, hey, man, have you been given opportunities anywhere else? He was basically like, listen, he's like, I've been offered defensive coordinator positions kind of all over the league. But all I know in the NFL is New England. I was drafted right. here in the first round in 2008. I've grew up as a player, grew up as a reliable linebacker, grew up as a coach. My family is settled in New England. We have roots here. Mm. So to leave the team that I'm comfortable with, to go somewhere else where I don't know the people, I don't know the culture, I don't know the system, and have to uproot my entire family, he said something along the lines of, the opportunity is going to have to be spectacular. It's going to have to be the perfect situation. Yep. And I took that as it probably means the perfect situation is Gerard Mayo being a head coach in the National Football League somewhere, not just a defensive coordinator, because clearly he's had the opportunities to, to go do that for other places. Wouldn't surprise me if Josh McDaniels asked him to go down to Las Vegas and do it. Oh, absolutely. Now, there's been a lot of talk about who's going to be the next head coach of the New England Patriots after Bill Belichick. I think a lot of people believed it was going to be Josh McDaniels. He was the heir apparent. Well, turns out that's not true. He's now the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. Well, some people said maybe it's going to be Steve Belichick. I said, I just don't see that because... How do you live in your father's shoes like that? You're never going to be your dad. You're never going to be as good as your dad. It's going to be an almost an impossible situation for Steve Belichick to live in. Yeah, I so, feel like that's a, that's a recipe right there for disaster. So some of the questions that I've been asked is, could Gerard Mayo be the Patriots' next head coach? And that got me thinking, he may be the perfect person to be the next head coach of the New England Patriots. And let me, let me lay out my argument for you. Mm-hmm. The only coach who's had true success in the National Football League, true success, playoff wins, the only coach that comes from the Bill Belichick coaching tree is Mike Vrabel. The biggest difference between him and Romeo Carnell, Charlie Weiss, Josh McDaniels, Bill O'Brien to an extent, Matt Patricia, Joe Judge. Mike Vrabel didn't come as a coach. He came as a former Bill Belichick New England Patriots player. We're seeing Wes Welker having a lot of success in San Francisco as a coordinator. Yes. And I think that there's a big difference between learning the Patriots way as a coach and learning the Patriots way as a player and executing the Patriots way. And I think that players are more individualized than coaches. I think that someone like Josh McDaniels was trying to mimic Bill Belichick, where Gerard Mayo was trying to be Gerard Mayo and New England Patriots player. He then becomes a New England Patriots coach. Mike Vrabel was a New England Patriots player who then became a coach. And then he was the defensive coordinator in Houston. Then he became the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. So I was sitting there today thinking about this, and I thought, man, the perfect head coach for the New England Patriots after Bill Belichick could actually be a former player. And it can't be Tom Brady. His expectations would be way too high. You would never live up to what Tom Brady is. But, Mike, I think that Gerard Mayo could actually be the perfect head coach for the Patriots. Yeah, that's an. I mean, it's an interesting point, right? So Mike Rabel is is 
arguably Belichick's most successful. I don't know if we're going to call it off the tree, but like a sapling, right? Like you said, he played under him. Um, it's interesting because he still, you know, comes from that defensive background. So if there was going to be a transition there, you have a defensive mind taking over for a defensive mind. And I think there is a little nugget in there that Gerard Mayo isn't willing to just up and leave New England for any coaching job, which is very interesting because, or I'm sorry, any uh, defensive coordinator position, because I'm sure, like you said, he probably got the offer from Josh McDaniels, come here, stay for a year, really show out, and then you'll definitely get the job. Whereas Bill doesn't like to give anybody the title. So you're not, you know, there's, there's going to be question marks. Um, Yeah. It's a really interesting proposition. It's a really interesting proposition. Now, one of the things that has intrigued me is Drod Mayo, since last offseason, has had interest as in head coaching positions and being a defensive coordinator moving around the league. We haven't heard the same about Steve Belichick. I also believe that Bill Belichick would allow Steve to go and pursue other opportunities if that's what he did choose, help him you know, right. build himself as a, as a coach on his team and, and spread your wings and fly young Eagle. Now, one thing that we did know, or we believed was, was that Gerard Mayo and Steve Belichick were sort of the co de facto defensive coordinators. We talked about them not being a de facto defense coordinator because Bill Belichick's fingerprints are all over the defense. Yeah. And Matt Judon basically confirmed what we knew today that Steve Belichick does call the plays or the defensive plays. He's a defensive play caller on the field. Yeah. However, one interesting nugget that I, I wasn't aware of, but uh, the people who are interviewing uh, Judon were is that Drod Mayo actually runs the meetings. So he runs the defensive meetings. Yeah. Now he was asked, is it weird to have one coach who runs meetings, one coach that calls the plays? And he said, you know, one of the, th Judon said, one of the things is, is we don't spend a lot of time with the defensive coordinators. We spend time with our positional coaches. So right. we spend a lot more time with them, which I have talked about. We've talked about that in the Josh McDaniels saga. You right. can't blame Josh McDaniels for wide receivers, not running routes properly or not getting separation. That's on the wide receiver coach, right? You If the offensive line isn't blocking properly or their footwork is off, that's not on Josh McDaniels. That's on the offensive line coach. They spend way more time with their positional coaches than they do their coordinators. Yep. So it kind of, I, so it confirmed things to me. So I was like, okay, so that's how it's all separated. But again, there's that real interesting piece of Gerard Mayo is getting all of these opportunities and nobody's going after Steve Belichick. Why? That's the question I had come to my mind. Why? And I think that deep down, there's always chatter around the league from players and coaches, and they all talk to each other. We know that with the whole Brian Dayball situation and Bill Belichick being influential in his hiring as a head coach. Yep. And I think that despite Steve Belichick being the defensive play caller, I think that Gerard Mayo may have a lot more say on that defense than Steve Belichick does. Now, this is one of the problems that I run into. I now wonder, and this is a topic that we have broached in the past, is Steve Belichick's nepotism, or sorry, Bill Belichick's nepotisms with his son going to cause issues and hurt the Patriots down the way? Because if defensive play calling was an issue, Belichick's not going to fire his own son. And I also look at Gerard Mayo, who runs the defensive meetings who seems to be the guy coming up with the game plan, who seems to be more of the defensive coordinator 
than Steve Belichick. And I do want to point out that there are offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators all over the league who don't call the plays. They have designated play callers. They are only the ones who design the game plan. And I wonder, though, and I wondered out loud, does Steve Belichick being in that de facto position and Bill Belichick being a father at the end of the day, Bill Belichick is a father first, a coach second. Correct, yeah. Does this hurt the Patriots because he cannot elevate Gerard Mayo to the position that he maybe deserves? And I think the attention that he's got around, got from around the NFL may say he sort of deserves to be in that spot. But unfortunately, a Belichick is in the way and it's not Bill and it's Steve. I do believe that the Patriots are going to be hurt by the nepotism. I do believe that there's going to come a point in time where defensive play calling is going to become an issue for the Patriots and there's going to be nothing that Bill Belichick can do about it basically because he can't fire his son. He can't demote his son. He can't rock the boat at home. And it's one of the big issues in football. And I'm going to say that this is not a Mike and Kyle Shanahan situation. I have not been as impressed with Steve Belichick as I have been with the Shanahans. That, yeah, and it's funny. That's what I was just going to relate it to. Um, yeah, this is concerning to me, and I'll put it in the, this light, right? This is very anti-Belichick. You think Bill would be elevating somebody over his son almost to make him go prove it even more. That's what's concerning to me is um, it's hitting him in his Achilles heel, right? As a father, because you're saying I want the best for my son, but it's, it's very anti bill as a GM and a head coach. And really, you know, the leader of the team in a sense to say, Oh no, I'm going to kind of push people out of the way for my son. That is not what he does. He always makes people go earn it. In fact, he'll put people, in front of others intentionally to kind of make them go, why is this guy in front of me? What's going on? So it, it is bringing up a very interesting dynamic. There was some reports that he lost the team, you know, towards the end of the year. And that's why the defense kind of quit on bill a little bit. So I think we're going to see, see some things that hopefully this off season to clarify what's going on because we either need to see clarity in the room to your point of either Mayo or Steve. I think, I don't think you can have two, two or three voices in that room for very long. Yeah. And and you're right. It's very un Bill Belichick like, because for a coach, let's just look at it from a coach and a general manager who has claimed for years that nobody is bigger than the locker room, including Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time. If, he's not too big for the locker room, then Steve Belichick can't be too big for the locker room. Steve, He needs exactly. to treat Steve Belichick the exact same way that he would treat every single other person in that room, on that coaching staff, and on that bench. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Mike, do we have any comments or questions that we want to pull up and, and address for the time being? All right, we have a super sticker from Kinkato21. Thank, Thank you, sir. sir. Right, let's see what's going on here. Let me scroll through. Mike is scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. McChicken says, I guess Mayo be the next best candidate. I'd rather Flores, but yeah. And you know what? That's a good point. I don't think I would mind Brian Flores as the head coach of the New England Patriots. I also wonder, though, sometimes a guy like Flores how successful he'd be in New England? Because would there be a little bit of that shadow? You were Bill's guy? Because he wasn't a former player for Bill. He came in as a coach for Bill. You know, you're Bill's former guy. 
I think sometimes it can be difficult for a coach who's already been there to make that room theirs, to make that culture theirs. Because again, you can't replicate what Bill Belichick has done in that locker room. You can't replicate the culture that Belichick has built in that locker room. Even if it's already established, you're still going to be a different person. You're still going to be... um, a different communicator. You're going to have different relationships with players than perhaps Bill Belichick did. We also know that coordinators and assistant coaches have better relationships with the players and the head coach because they're the ones, the head coach isn't the one working with the players every day. It's the assistants that are working with the players on a daily basis. I like Mayo because he's not just coming at it from a coach's perspective. He's also coming at it from a a player's perspective so there can be a little bit of communication right i guess maybe one of my concerns with mayo is would he actually be a viable long-term coaching candidate for the patriots or would he be like that quote-unquote bridge candidate until you found a guy who can come in and change things because i know that we talk about the patriots way Right. And but I think the reality is the Patriots way will die the day that Bill Belichick retires or resigns because the Patriot way people let's just be real with ourselves the Patriots way is the Belichick way. And I just wonder if Flores being the head coach of the Patriots would try to replicate Bill instead of making it his own where I could see Gerard Mayo because he is a player's guy, a being more of a player's coach because he was a player and B embracing the Patriots way, embracing the Belichick way, but putting his own Gerard Mayo twist to it. And I'm not saying that Flores didn't do that in Miami, but I think it's a little bit different if you're wearing the Patriots colors. Yeah, this, this is an interesting one for me because we always talked about, um, who's going to fill Brady's shoes and how hard is it going to be? And they're never going to be Brady. Well, you can get another exceptional quarterback. I don't think there's any way you can ever replicate Bill Belichick because his disciples that have tried have all pretty much failed except for Flores and Flores still had his own flavor in it on it compared to, you, you know, especially McDaniels and uh, Patricia. Um, and not that Billy O'Brien wasn't successful, but you saw what happened when he got full control there too. He went full, full bill mode and kind of, you know, blew up the franchise. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting. I think there's ultimately going to be a bridge because the Patriot way is going to survive, but I don't think it's going to be the same thing. It's going to need to evolve. It's going to need to change. There, there is going to be some remnant, I think of it for a while because i think some of the staff will obviously remain post bill but it it's definitely go, going to need to evolve there for sure yeah no totally 100 percent agree thank you very much for your comment mr mcchicken right, let's see here joe says so king cato says if mayo is designing the game plan how much does his game plan affect the play calling okay so this is really interesting because I'm going to put another tidbit about what Matthew Judon said that I forgot to mention earlier. So they were asked about, he was actually asked this direct question. How do you guys as players function with a game plan, you know, with, with the coordinator and then one guy calling the plays. And he said, first of all, it works for us. We understand it. We know how to do it. Matthew Judon did not put an ounce of blame on the play calling against Buffalo. And he said, anybody who can watch the film can see where it was a lack of execution on our part. 
which is interesting because if it's a lack of execution by the players, that's less on the coordinators and that's more on Bill Belichick not having his players ready to go because at the end of the day, direct accountability is going to fall on Bill Belichick's shoulders. Yeah, He said the plays that Steve was calling against the Bills that turned into big games for Buffalo, he said shouldn't have. You can see it. If this guy was in this A-gap, if this guy was here, if this guy was there, if this guy wouldn't have overpursued, if this guy would have done this, he said you can see it on almost every play, which is a little bit encouraging because I think that's a little bit of Gerard Mayo saying like, hey, the Buffalo Bills blew us out, but we kind of beat ourselves a little bit. You know, that game was a blowout because of us. That game wasn't a blowout because of Buffalo, which is, you know, which is encouraging. It's also brave considering that you're going to have to face that team twice a year. And, uh, you know, I've already declared that I think that Josh Allen is the best quarterback in the NFL, and he's going to be tough to beat uh, a lot. So the game plan uh, is, is going to affect the play calling, but play calling isn't predetermined. I mean, I think on offense, you have your first 15 plays called and on defense, you probably got your first 10 to 15 plays called. And then, and then it's adapting to the game. So you make your game plan, but you, you got to adapt to the game. If you're in constant third and longs, then you're going to be calling, you know, obvious pass rush. You're going to be, you know, playing in a more of a zone defense. If you're constantly in third and short, you're not going to be able to send the house. You're going to have to watch for the run. You're going to probably pay play more man-to-man, uh, depending on the skill set of your players. So, yeah, the defensive game plan is important. I think more from a defensive coordinator, though, is understanding the offense that you're going against. The game plan is more – the game calling, that's more on the field. And they kind of figure that out as the game's going on. If you go back to the – mic'd up Super Bowl 53 moment right and uh Bill Belichick is talking to Brian Flores and he's like okay just like the last time let's get our calls set ahead of time so that we know what we're doing so that's almost done on a series by series basis this is encouraging and I I don't know if you watched the interview too but um it was on Fledger and Maz you know your favorite people um I did Basically, watch it. I watched the, the 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 video of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Gerard Mayo said they're looking to kind of get faster, more athletic at linebacker and some other positions, which obviously that's what a coach is going to say. But I think that does like sound a little bit of a death knell for you know at least two of these three guys, whether it be Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins, Dante Hightower, some combination of these guys because. Um, we've talked about it before. The newer NFL linebackers, smaller, faster, you know, can run uh, horizontally and we'll see what happens there. But um, to the point that was kind of brought up, you know, the Patriots, you know, getting a little old, getting a little slow. Um, and I think by the end of the year there, uh, Bill was really making, you know, a, a, a mediocre defense look good. And once uh, Jalen Mills got hurt, like you, you have brought up before, they kind of just. I think we're fully exposed. I also think that Belichick's old school mentality of big boomer linebackers and that type of thing yep. is it doesn't work in the modern day NFL and you're going to get exposed by the Josh Allen. So a little bit of that right. is on Bill Belichick team building. And I think the fact that Mayo said they're going to come out and they're going to get faster, more explosive, that type of thing. I bet you that's a conversation that they had. Yeah, um, you know, and they and they kind of did some analysis of the interview after the fact, and basically that's what they were saying is that's a conversation he's obviously had with Bill. So, you know, 
that's that's going to be probably a little bit more Uche potentially next season because he may not be able to tackle the same way these guys can, but he's faster. He can at least catch up with the guys. So the um, problem with Uche is he's more of an outside linebacker, not a not an not off, an inside. not a, not an inside off the ball, and because yeah. of that he can't stop the run and he can't set the edge. And that's where Uche is, is a, is a problem on the Patriots defense. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for your comment. King Cato 21. All righty. Let's see here. I just had a comment. I lost it. Oh, here we go. Uh, Articular pack six says, I think that the Pats need to sign Ray to replace Wynn. Oh, my son, my days of, uh, my days of like walking up the stairs quickly are over, let alone going through the grind of an NFL season. I appreciate you though. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that a lot. However, I would love the opportunity to work with Isaiah Wynn. I would love the opportunity to, to a lot of things. <laughs> um, I'll tell you one thing. If I had the opportunity to work with Isaiah Wynn and coach him up, uh, we'd be doing a lot of agility training. We'd be doing a lot of up downs. Uh, we'd be doing a lot of footwork movement. His hands are fine. He he gets his hands up. It, it's the problem is he always gets beat with his legs. And I know that the the analysis you know the analysis um, the caller guys on the games they like to focus on his hands. Oh look, he blew right by him. Oh, he got around him. A lot of it isn't his speed though. I mean, a lot of it is his footwork. If you watch him, there's there's one big thing that Isaiah Wynn does a lot, and he gets pushed back. And he gets off pushed back off balance a lot when he's on the field. He gets too high. He doesn't get low enough on the edge. He doesn't use his size. He doesn't use his powerful legs to push guys back. He doesn't even redirect guys. He when he is when he's at his best, he is tight. He is low. He's hitting low. He's blocking low. His hands are good. His feet are good. His hips are good. He's moving with the blocker. And too many times an offensive lineman, and McChicken would be able to talk to you about this as well, you have to move with the blocker. You can't try to hold them in your spot. If you do that, A, you're either going to take a holding penalty, which he does a lot, or B, they're going to get around you. They're going to outpower you. They're going to use speed. You're not going to be able to hold them. you got to move with the blocker and then get yourself into a favorable position to redirect them. It's not always about holding the guy and giving the quarterback a six-second clean pocket. A lot of it is just redirecting him and giving the quarterback the opportunity to throw the football. Isaiah Wynn, Justin Haran, who did get better as the season went on, but those kind of guys, they were getting blown up on the side, and they weren't redirecting. Guys were running right around them. They weren't moving with them. They weren't fast enough. Their feet work wasn't good enough. So I couldn't replace Isaiah Wynn, but I would love the opportunity to coach him and put him through some agility drills, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, for the amount of money they, they're spending on him next season, if they can't find him. $15 million, people. That's the yeah. cap hit. Yeah, it's crazy. For the amount of money they're spending on him next season, guys, they're going to have somebody working with him early in the offseason to have him improve. Like There is no doubt in my mind. And listen, we've seen some flashes of, of, I don't know about greatness, but goodness from Isaiah Wynn. He's just been hurt quite a bit. He's actually, if you look at his numbers, you look at his film, and even you look at his analytics, he's a great run blocker. Like He's actually... One of if he's actually according to PFF, which again a grain of salt, but he's one of the best run blocking tackles in the league. Like yeah, he really well, is. They wouldn't have signed him to that fifth well, year. They didn't they, sign him. They 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 
they executed his fifth year. And let's also yeah. not forget, though, that the Patriots at this very moment, we haven't seen what they've done in the offseason yet, but at this very moment are still set up to be a ground and pound team. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to, sorry, I used the wrong term. They So they executed his fifth year option. They wouldn't have exercised, done Exercised, exercised. Okay. Exercised his fifth year option. Um, they wouldn't have done that if they thought he was absolutely awful. Like, listen, they, they could have went and got, you know, a good left tackle or they would have just said, okay, we'll, we'll sign Trent Brown and put him there. Like they, they, they see something, right? This is one of those instances where they see something behind the scenes that we don't, and maybe it's just not quite getting onto the field. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Thank you very much for your comment and your compliment. I should say. Uh, Gregory Brown says who y'all see the Pats taking the 21st pick. Oh my God. Oh my God. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Gregory, I don't know if you're new, but I know nothing about college football. I've done no research in the college football. Here's what I'll tell you though. Let me tell you who, what the position I hope they take with the 21st overall. I don't want them to take a wide receiver as many people are screaming about. I don't want them to take an offensive lineman. I want them to take a secondary piece, preferably a cornerback. I think that the Patriots secondary will be the weakest part of their defense this year. There's a lot of good inside linebackers in the draft, but you just can't give up on strengthening up that secondary. We don't know if Devin McCourty's returning. Even though he maybe lost a quarter of a step, he's still a big leader there. J.C. Jackson will probably return, but outside of him, I mean, is Jalen Mills a true number two? Probably not. Jalen Mills is more of a safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got a lot of young guys in the secondary that can step up. The reason that I'm not focused on linebackers because Cameron McGrone is still in the background. I want to see how he sort of comes, and he is an off-the-ball linebacker. Uh, unlike Uche and, and Winovich, who are an on-the-ball linebacker. So I want to see what he's able to do. Yep. But I want to see the Patriots really – I think it's the most – whether it's free agency or the draft, I think addressing the secondary and getting a solid number two cornerback has to be the Patriots' number one priority this offseason, outside of like re-signing Jawan Bentley and J.C. Jackson and that type of thing. Yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna go player here, right? We're we're still in flux here. There's a lot of players that can move up and down these draft boards really quickly in, in the next couple of weeks. Um I'm gonna back you up on that cornerback position. Um I've been saying now for weeks, I think it's corner or bust for them. You know, they they will probably sign JC Jackson to that franchise tag, but they need to have somebody behind him ready to go. Um if they don't take that route, because listen, Jawan Bentley, pretty much a nothing. You know what I mean? Sean Wade, still big question marks. I'm sure they're hoping they can get a lot out of him. But other than that, like, listen, Miles Bryant and some of these practice squad guys, they're okay on a good day. They, they've seen flashes or, or we've seen flashes from them, but everyone else around them needs to be spectacular in order for them to look good. So we can't just be out there with JC Jackson for one year and then just have this hideous secondary because to Ray's point, then we won't be complaining about the offense and our wide receiver one will be complaining about exactly what Buffalo did this year, throwing for 800 yards and 10 touchdowns on us. So, okay. All right. Thank you, Gregory, for your comments. 
Guys, let me tell you the benefits of joining my Patreon page for only $5 a month. You get a, a bunch of stuff. Number one, you get your comments and questions guaranteed to be answered. Alex dropped two of them for us today. We are going to answer his questions. You also get to be a part of the Friday Patreon Hangout. Every Friday, the podcast is two hours long. Every Friday, it's a live stream. And every Friday, it's only for the Patreon members. So you can come check it out there by coming over to patreon.com slash Sports and uh, come see what we're doing. Come have a little bit of fun. Come check it out. And Michael, I got to ask you, if you, am I moving on you? Because I'm not moving on mine. Um, you broke up for a second. And I don't but even you... hear you. I literally just lost all of my sound. I, I, I heard it conk out. I heard the music yeah. stop. I literally got. Yeah. So I don't know what's happening right now. All right. And uh, my headphones are not working. Ooh, fun stuff. Yeah. Plug him in. Michael, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can no, you hear me? No, no. You are con- You are conking out, Mike. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? No, I can't. I can kind of hear something. I don't think it's my headphones, though. I think it's something going on with my uh, stream yard right now because, oh, however, boy. let's do this. We are going to get to, uh, can you hear me clearly? Throw me a yes. thumbs up. Yeah, you can hear me clearly. Okay, right, so everybody can hear me clearly. I can't hear my co-host, Mike, and uh, I know that's not him because I can't hear the music either so that's an issue that's a problem so i'm going to change up my headphones here see what happens here can you hear me now uh not really not really i hear you a little bit better but Mm. not really something weird's going on can you hear the music mike mike can hear the music i can't hear the music this is a problem I'll tell you what, Mike. Why don't you answer one of the one of the questions, and I'm gonna drop in and drop out and see if that fixes the issue. All right, we'll do that. Sounds good. All right, guys, let's pick a question. Looks like we're doing this for round two tonight. All right, let's bring up Patriots Media's uh, question here. Uh, do you think there's a chance we bring back uh, Chandler Jones to replace Hightower or Kyle Van Noy? Listen, no chance. Yeah, um, I would love it. I think it would be awesome, but uh, I don't think he's going to bring in one aging linebacker for another, even though that guy is, I think, in a much better place than the rest of these guys. I think he wants to get the team younger, faster, um, and keep away from big money at this point because he kind of needs to. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that they're going to bring back uh, Chandler Jones either. I think that... He is going to be a big money edge. I mean, I would love to the combination of Matt Judon and Chandler Jones. Remember, though, Chandler Jones doesn't replace Dante Hightower. He replaced a roster spot. He replaced money. Dante Hightower is an inside linebacker. Chandler Jones is 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 an outside linebacker or defensive edge rusher, lineman, whatever you want to call it. So I do think, though, that we have to be able to differentiate that. Yeah, I just think so. Right there, you're basically talking about replacing Kyle Van Noy. I don't see them getting rid of Kyle Van Noy this year. I think they, you know, they're probably going to let Jamie Collins and Hightower walk. I know that hurts Ray, you know, but listen, Kyle Van Noy did look like he had a little bit of a step at the end of the year. He was he was doing better. Um, I think McChicken posted it earlier, but he was one of um, 
PFF's highest graded linebackers. I think he started the year with that groin injury and didn't look good. Um, yeah, but thank you yeah. for your comment, Patriots Media. So we are going to get to our Patreon questions here. Let's do so it. Alex says, "Do you think that the Bengals' season would have gone as well if they'd got an O lineman to protect Joe Burrow?" And it's a funny question to me because it's a complete slap in my face because I was sort of laughing when they got Jamar Chase. And I was like, all right, great. You get Jamar Chase, but you're going to, you know, Joe Burrow's coming off a torn ACL because the offensive line couldn't protect him. And he's going to get beat up. He's going to look awful. And he's going to, you know, like you got to protect your quarterback. I also said, who goes to their second year quarterback and says, hey, what do you prefer? No, do you want us to take Jamar or do you want to go get your, you know, do you want us to go get you some protection? I thought be a GM, be a coach, be something. I'm yeah. going to relate this back to the New England Patriots a little bit. I'm not sitting here today because it'd be idiotic to say this, that as a general manager, the game is passing Bill Belichick a little bit. However, what I will put out there is, is we have seen different approaches to building teams outside of the way the New England Patriots build teams and Bill's sort of team building blueprint is a little bit stone age. It's a little bit out of date. Again, the big heavy linebackers, the, you know, offensive linemen over wide receivers and, you know, run the football and defense. And what we're seeing now is, is, Hey, Joe, protect yourself, but don't worry about it. Cause you can just chuck up the football and Jamar chase will be somewhere and that reckless sort of drafting, that reckless team building, and the reckless attitude has, uh, well, brought them all the way to the Super Bowl. Right. And as I have said on many different occasions, I believe that they're reckless enough to win this thing. They have yep. no fear of the L.A. Rams, no fear of Jalen Ramsey, no fear of Aaron Donald. And sometimes it's when you act like you're not supposed to be there or you act like you don't know you're not supposed to be there, you get a little reckless and you actually can turn away and win. I, I still say that this Bengals team reminds me so much of the 2001 Patriots team as they just go across their Cinderella story. Um, so, yeah, Alex, I mean, probably not. They probably the, – the Bengals probably wouldn't have gotten to the Super Bowl if they would have taken an offensive lineman, they would have been a better team. They may not have made the playoffs. Let's face it. Like, look at what Jamar Chase has done for that team. So, yeah, I'm going to sit here today, and I'm going to say that I think that I like the way they they built it. I like the way they gave Jamar Chase or gave Joe Burrow what he wanted and what he needed to be better. I do think at some point you have to get him an offensive lineman. We saw that Tennessee game. You don't want him taking those kind of hits over and over again for the rest of his career. That's what the Colts did, and that ruined Andrew Luck. However, however, what I will say is I do hope that Bill Belichick is talking to Mac Jones, maybe about some of the Alabama guys coming out and saying, hey, who do you feel the most comfortable playing with? Do Who do you want to throw the football to? What do you need? What type of receiver do you like? Is it yeah. Devontae Smith? Is it a Waddle? Who do you like to do? Um, yeah, because, uh, yeah, Belichick's way is a little bit archaic. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to I'm gonna go right with you on this because this has kind of also challenged me to kind of look at, you know, a conversation you kind of, a, you and I kind of had in private at, you know, the beginning of the year is Bill kind of, out of step with the game. And I think there's one thing that he's been out of step with now for quite a while. 
and that's getting wide receivers and treating wider the wide receiver position almost like uh he does the linebacker right so every year you draft like one and a half linebackers so you just have this store of potential talent at wide receiver um yeah i really i really do think the patriots um need to take a look at cincinnati's approach especially because we can always get offensive linemen in the later rounds and seem to be successful with it i think bill needs to start looking at some of these linebackers potentially you know in later rounds or even cornerbacks outside of the second round maybe the third and you know kind of look at other teams blueprints to to your point i'm going to change your analogy a little bit i'm going to say that he needs to stop treating wide receivers the way other teams treat running backs and start treating them the way other teams treat wide receivers i mean the patriots have drafted three running backs in the last three years yeah yeah and it's a it's a it's because they want to control time of possession, right? The Patriots formula when all these teams have high power offenses is we're going to go to the ground and we're going to control time of possession through the ground. But they've also run into the problem of they can't score quickly when they need to. Right. That's the issue. That, you go down 14 points against Buffalo and you've got you nothing. Can't. You and can't. I think every Patriots fan on the planet, we all turned around and said, that game's over. We conceded yeah. in the first quarter when it was 14, nothing. We all conceded this game is over because we knew they didn't have the octane offense to go down and score. We didn't know the defense wasn't going to make a stop. But the other right. thing, too, is is sometimes, sometimes a quick score, a quick strike down the field, a quick touchdown changes momentum, and suddenly your defense goes out and makes a stop. Right. But when you're punting the football, your defense is like, oh, back yeah. out there. And which is why I still say that the Micah Hyde interception completely change what would have been a tight game to a blowout absolutely and and listen this you know this isn't to say that the patriots potentially don't have playmakers right like i think i think kendrick Bourne is going to work for them and i think he is going to ascend and be a playmaker okay let's Um, talk about that though because i see kendrick Bourne as the new julian edelman of the new england patriots and a lot of people confuse julian edelman for what he was a lot of people confuse julian edelman as a slot receiver julian edelman was not a slot receiver julian edelman actually had better numbers outside than he did lining up in the slot edelman Mm -hmm. was actually more like a jacoby myers right kendrick Bourne is like a jacoby myers hence a julian edelman which is why I don't believe the Patriots are going to re-sign Jacoby Myers this year because I think they think they have, especially if they are going to go out and try to get a stretch receiver. I think that they're going, they know their Jacoby Myers is actually Kendrick Bourne. Get him more involved in the game plan. Have Aguilar as your number three and have a, tr- a bona fide number one. Julian yeah. Edelman was not an explosive wide receiver. Julian Edelman was the guy that you move the ball down the field with. You're exp- you know what they don't have. Gronk. Gronk was your right. explosive player. Gronk, was, Gronk explosive. was the guy who would get you 40, 50 yards in one play. Edelman had his moments, but Edelman was the guy that was going to get you 8, 12, 14 yards, move the chains, move the football, work your way down the field, eat up the clock, yep. score a touchdown. He had his moments of big plays, but for the most part, that wasn't who he was. Kendrick Bourne is not going to be your big play explosive player. He's going to be your Edelman, move the chains, get the work. I think he's a little bit faster yeah, Edelman so this, was quicker, the, but this Bourne is where I'll, I'll, I'll disagree with you a little bit. And I'm not, I don't want anybody to misconstrue this. 
because I think Julian Edelman with the ball in his hands was great. He was one of the toughest, most hard-nosed guys with the ball in his hands you'll ever see. I think Kendrick Bourne, when he gets the ball in his hands, you know, and we saw it a couple times this year, he just makes some things happen that you don't expect. Sorry, we're not, though, we're not comparing Bourne after the catch. We're, we're comparing Edelman and Bourne off the line. No, but I, I'm I'm just saying, in Bourne's general, not going to beat Jalen Ramsey. He's just not. No, the same way no, no. the same way Julian Edelman wasn't going to beat Jalen Ramsey. No, you know what I mean. And so, that's where they're a similar player. Howard, no, I totally agree with you though. Uh, when the ball in his hands, Kendrick yeah. Bourne's a more explosive player, but it's right. still not going to be 50 yards unless he gets a hole no. and he's and he's gone. It's still going to be that 15 yard right. move the chains. Done yeah, and it, it happened what twice this year, which is actually. So to your point, that would probably happen three to four times a year with Edelman, right? Edelman would be in the right situation at the right time and just, you know, yep. the play play would be there for him. What so, the Patriots need, though, is the Jamar Chase. Yes, he, abs- absolutely. He, Mac needs the guy. You know what? Allen Robinson's down there somewhere. Chris Godwin's open somewhere. You know, like how many times did we see Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Allen Robinson back in the day just wide open behind receivers? That's yeah. what they don't have in New England for Mac Jones. Plus, you know, the same thing that we talked about with the Julio argument, you know, it, fall, it fell through on the actual player itself. But when you add an element to that field, when you add a number one receiver, he may not get the targets of the yards you expect, but all of a sudden Hunter Henry, Johnu Smith, Kendrick Bourne, go, the you know, go down the list, right? All of a sudden they get more targets, more yards, because the, yep. the, the offense is just more open for them. Alex asks, what team do you think underperformed this season? And it's an emphatic uh, two Ooh. teams. The Miami Dolphins and the Baltimore Ravens were the two biggest underperformers in the NFL. I expected more out of both those teams. And I know at the end of the day, the the Dolphins record didn't look that bad. They went one in seven to start the season. One in seven. Yeah. And Baltimore, who was seen as one of the teams that compete for the AFC, didn't even win the AFC North. They didn't even make the playoffs. Lamar didn't brutal. even play in the playoff game. <laughs> they didn't even make play a playoff. It was the game to get into the playoffs. They right, lost to the Steelers. Yeah. And Lamar missed a bunch of times. So those are the two teams in my mind that just underperformed the absolute that I thought we were going to see a lot more from. Yeah, listen, the, the Baltimore Ravens this year l- were confounding. I mean, a big piece of its injury, and, and they got some, un- or I should say Lamar got a lot of unfair criticism. For that, but the the Ravens are at the absolute top of my list. The Ravens would have won two games this year if it wasn't for Lamar Jackson. By the way, for everybody yeah. who's criticizing Lamar, they would have won two games this year. Yes. So and everybody complaining this year that he and I was one of these guys, and then I had to step back and realize again how hurt he was and what he did. You know, oh, he still hasn't evolved as a passer. He didn't have a ton of playing time this year, guys. And didn't have a ton hurt. of playing time. Didn't have a ton of targets either. Too. Yeah. I would yeah. argue Mac. I would argue Mac Jones had more targets than Lamar Jackson did. Yeah. So. Yeah, and the Dolphins. It, it's it, like it's just a weird cinder like story of their season. Like Jekyll and Hyde, two different teams practically. I think we all expected them to win ten games, which ultimately they came close to, but. Yeah, that just weird collapse in the middle of the season was strange. So Matthew Judon was doing his interviews. Roe was on, uh, what they call it, Radio Row in, yep. uh, for the Super Bowl. 
And they were asking about Mac Jones, and he used the word baller to explain Mac Jones. And he also said that he thinks that Mac Jones is going to be very good for that Patriots offense for a long time. And I'm going to go back to the Pro Bowl for a second because the Mac Jones uh, mic'd up clips were also released today, which was just absolutely yeah, phenomenal awesome. Awesome. To, yeah. to listen to him talk and his exuberance and his enjoyment and just just genuinely wanting to be there and have fun and take advantage of the situation, make plays. It's not about how he played, which he played well for a pro bowl. It's not about winning the game because it's a pro bowl, but we really saw a side of Mac Jones that we hadn't seen before. And we kind of alluded to it earlier in the week and said like, no wonder his teammates speak so highly of him. No wonder his teammates love him. I mean, my God, if this is his personality in the locker room, the guy's absolutely positively phenomenal. You got to love the kid to call him a baller though and say he's going to be great with the offense. Okay. What do we expect his teammate to say that we don't have faith in Mac Jones, that we don't want to go there. I get that. But I think that it says a lot when a guy like Judon, who's been pretty outspoken about things in his career, and he's been not shy with the media and, and making his things, you know, and feelings, uh, apparent uh, with the media. I think that that was a really big boost to confidence to Mac Jones, but that also leaves us with some of the questions about what can we expect from Mac Jones in the future? And this is something that consistently comes up. What is this window or what is his roof? What are roof? What is his ceiling? What is his floor? How good is he going to be? Have we seen the best of Mac Jones? And my thing is this, we're not going to know for another two years what Mac Jones is going to be and develop into as a quarterback. Don't fool yourself. He's in the prime of his development stage right now. Year three is, I think, where you're really hoping for him to turn over. I understand that guys like Lamar Jackson in year three won an MVP. I don't think mm-hmm. that you can expect that for sure out of somebody like Mac Jones. However, hopefully, I have been very consistent with this analysis and i will continue staying consistent with this analysis i think what we've seen out of mac jones this year is what we're going to see out of him for most of his career outside of a couple of changes and i'll say what those are in a second yes mac jones was the most nfl ready quarterback in the draft this season more ready than trevor lawrence zach wilson trey lance uh, and justin fields the four taken before him the most nfl ready Nobody ever said he was the best quarterback in the draft this season because if he was, he would have went first overall. He was the most ready, hence why the Patriots went to the playoffs. What we've seen, and I, someone made this comparison, and I agree 100%, compare him to Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert is what Justin Herbert is. He's going. He's looked like the exact same quarterback he was last year. The little changes that we're looking for in Herbert and the little changes we're going to be looking for in Mac Jones, we are going to be looking for him to be able to read a defense a little bit quicker. We're going to be looking for a little bit more arm strength. We're going to be looking for him to be able to move around the pocket a little bit. We hadn't seen, we didn't see too much of that with him. Those are the type of things that we're going to be looking at for Mac Jones this year. Outside of that, I'm telling you right now, we have not seen the best of Mac Jones, but don't expect some huge development over the next two years. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, guys, what Bill wants in this system is consistency, and he has a consistent quarterback. Now they just need to refine him, take that edge off. Listen, Tom Brady wasn't some physical specimen. He wasn't some you know playmaker with his feet. 
he was consistent and they refined consistency. And then he improved his arm strength, which was always decent. It's all about refinement to Belichick. Most of it's there. The thing that matters the most to Bill, to the Patriots, is his mind and how fast his mind is. Because if he has that, everything else to them is secondary because because he can physically get better. So I think one of the things that's fair as well is that the New England Patriots was the perfect situation for Mac Jones. And I think on the flip side, it's also fair to say that Mac Jones was the perfect situation for the Patriots with their current makeup of the team, the way Bill Belichick builds a team. We have talked about it being a little bit old school, maybe a little bit out of touch. Maybe a guy like Trey Lance, who I was very high on for New England, maybe he doesn't work with the Patriots. Maybe he's not the quarterback that he becomes somewhere else. Mac Jones was perfect. I don't know if Mac Jones has the same success he had this season or if he'll have the same success in the future if he is drafted by San Francisco, where he was originally seen to be taken. Originally, it was San Francisco moved up to the third overall pick to take Mac Jones. But maybe Shanahan looked at Jimmy Garoppolo a little bit and thought, man, I'm not getting that different of a quarterback, and Jimmy G has just not worked here. And I can't. Get you know, I can't move up to third. We can't move up to number three only to take another Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that Mac Jones was in is in the perfect system, which is why I will put out here, and I'm not here to argue, but put out here. It's why I am a little bit concerned about Josh McDaniels leaving without bringing in the proper offensive coordinator and the proper quarterback coach who can continue the system because this is what was built for Mac Jones. Now that brings up this question. Would Jimmy Garoppolo have had more success if he would have stayed with the New England Patriots? Now, when we talk about success, I mean consistent success. Now, we know that injuries have been an issue. That maybe probably doesn't change if he's with the Patriots because he was dealing with injuries while he's with the Patriots. I mean, I think Martellus Bennett called him out a little while ago for, you know, not wanting to play while Jacoby Bursette was playing with like a broken hand and Jimmy Garoppolo made a business decision and and dressed in his street gear. And he used an expletive to, to, to describe Jimmy Garoppolo. However, Garoppolo at one point becomes the highest paid quarterback in the NFL after playing five games for the yeah. San Francisco 49ers. If you remember back to the rumors when Jimmy Garoppolo was traded, there was rumors that the Patriots offered him big money to be the backup quarterback with yep. him being the heir apparent to Tom Brady. And basically Jimmy Garoppolo was like, no, I don't want to be a backup. I want to start. I want to play. He bet on himself. He got paid because he bet on himself. Good for him. But a yep. part of me wonders that Jimmy Garoppolo is looking at a situation. Now he's being replaced by Trey Lance. He knows he's being replaced by Trey Lance. He's going to maybe be traded somewhere and not have a choice of where he goes, or he's going right. to go to a team that's quarterback needy, which means they're probably not a great team unless he ends up with like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which I think is a very, real possibility but i wonder if there's a part of jimmy garoppolo that sits back now and says i wish i would have stayed in new england i wish i would have just waited for tom to leave and i think i could have been in a better spot i could have made my money and i probably still be their quarterback because that was the perfect situation for me um i don't know i think jimmy's a competitor i don't think he would have stayed and like let's be honest okay would he have been better in new england though than he ended up in san francisco yes i so yes and for the people out there listen i'm not conflating like tom brady being here and jimmy 
uh, you know, replacing him. Like, I know it's a weird, weird subject. Like, listen, yes, Tom Brady went to three more Super Bowls. Okay. We're just saying if he was here, would he have been more consistent and better? I believe yeah, so. We're not asking if New England would have been better. We're asking would Jimmy Garoppolo have right. been more successful? If it, exactly. With exactly. And I know there are people out there that are going to, you know, conflate the two. So let's just get that off the table. Yes. I think, I think Jimmy would have been better because ultimately I don't think he's suited to that West coast offense. He's not mobile. I think they want a mobile quarterback. That's why I think the rumors of Brady going out there are foolish because Kyle Shanahan wants a guy guy like Trey Lance that can move around. That's half that offense. I mean, look at Debo half the time he's running the football. That's what they want. Sorry, I kind of got off topic, but <laughs> no, no, that's fine. But do you remember when uh, Brady was at the barbershop with LeBron? Yep. And he said, you're going to go with that effing guy over me. Mm -hmm. Do you think it was Jimmy G? I still don't know, man. There's all those rumors out there. Jimmy G, Ryan Tannehill. Somebody was saying Ryan Fitzpatrick the other day. I have I mean... heard now Brady has confirmed it wasn't Fitzpatrick and it wasn't okay. Tannehill. I'm got it's probably gonna be Jimmy and the I, I so the names I have in my that I have are mm -hmm. Tua. Yep. And Jimmy G. Those are the two names that that are and Daniel Jones in New York. Because don't forget the Giants were heavy in on him. The giant the Giants were mentioned with him to begin with. The other one you could say is maybe, you know, like you know, Philip Rivers and Indy, but I don't think they would have drafted Tua if they would have signed Brady. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. They would have looked for more more of a project quarterback that they could have used in two years and probably put all those first round picks around Brady. It would have been an ideal situation. All right, I think we got time for one comment, Mikey. All right, let's see what we can pull up here. Dun, dun, dun. You've been watching. We're not missing super chats or anything, right? No, we're not missing super chats. Okay. So I'm just going to bring up Travis's comment here. Perfect. So Travis says Tom Brady has identical stats to Mac from 2001 to 2005, different era, but still, yes, they have identical stats. Here's my only concern, Travis, and this is less of a Mac Jones thing and more of a Patriots thing. When Tom Brady broke into the NFL, it wasn't a quarterback league the way it is today. It wasn't all about the quarterback. It was about balance. I think that that was what I call the balance era. Have a good defense, be able to run the football effectively, throw the football, right? Corey Dillon running the ball, right? Like, you know, that was his Ramondre and his, his Damian Harris. Um, and again, I don't, I don't, to me, it's not, I'm not looking at Mac Jones and saying, hey, dude, like, you know, yep. This is the Patriots who, and we talked about it. I mean, we had a big blowout on Friday night about it. They protected Mac Jones. Did they overprotect him? Maybe. Mm -hmm. But I also think that the Patriots were in a different situation than, say, Jacksonville or New York, who knew they weren't going to be playoff contenders. They knew they weren't going to win games. So they let their quarterbacks just go out and make the mistakes. They took the Indianapolis Colts approach that they had with Peyton Manning when he threw the most interceptions in you know rookie history. And I think he was really rooting for Zach Wilson to break that record for him this year and finally get his name <laughs> off that record book. But that's how you develop them. Mac Jones was put into a situation where he needs to win now, which yeah. is why this is where the argument came Friday night. 
The argument came Friday night that Mac Jones has to be compared to Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Those are his compared because those are his peers. His peers right. aren't the rookie quarterbacks because they treated them like rookie quarterbacks. Mac Jones was the starting quarterback on a playoff team, which means you have to compare him to Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Ben Roethlisberger, which he outperformed, right? But Stafford, uh, Brady, because those are his peers. It's not a bad thing that we're talking about Mac Jones as his peers. And I'm not saying comparing their styles, comparing, their, but I am comparing how they drove, how they played, how they performed throughout the season. So I th I'm hoping that with McDaniels gone, maybe they open up the playbook a little bit maybe they throw a little bit more however i still think less of this is about the coordination and i'm really and i'm trying to do this without sounding like you know a crusty boston sports radio media guy <laughs> talking about belichick because you know i'm a bill belichick fanboy and i still think he's coaching wise the game is nowhere near passing him like he gets it however from a team building perspective again i hope that they take a little bit of a different approach and maybe come a little bit into the new school a little bit even with the EP system, Mario. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll start where you ended. And that, that's exactly what I want. And that's one of my things, you know, one of my pain points with Josh McDaniels has been, I think that the system needs to evolve. And I don't know if it could evolve with him there. I, you know, could be wrong. Yeah, absolutely could be wrong. Can I just um, make the one point to that and I'll let you continue? Sure. Antonio Brown's first game with the Patriots and he ended up with like 70 yards and like he had, he had a good first game with the Patriots, right? Imagine yep. what he would have done with Antonio Brown as he continued to learn the offense. I think one of my arguments for Josh McDaniels is he was working with Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne and Jacoby Myers this year. And I know he didn't use Johnny Smith the way we wanted, but if right. we can just eliminate Smith for a second, it's not like he had that bonafide number one receiver to throw the football to. I mean, the other thing you could say, though, too, on the other end of that, though, is Antonio Brown is one of the best receivers of all time, period, end of story. So he could be successful anywhere with anything, with, you know, almost with anybody. Do you find, though, that we have a lot of those conversations? Like, when you look around the league now, it, when you look around the NFL at this point and you look at all the teams with loaded wide receivers or at least one loaded wide receiver. Yeah. There's a lot of guys that five years ago would have been the best wide receiver in the NFL. You know what I mean? Oh, or, or I guess, crazy. sorry, with Megatron there, he'd still be the best, but it'd be very close. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it'd be still be like when you look at like Mike Evans, like he's looked at, he's not the best in the NFL, but 10 years ago, he would have been the number one receiver. You know so, what I mean? So just, everything that, has changed. To that point, yes, the talent, the wide receiver talent, because because of the way the position has changed to your point, right. Is crazy. Like and that's ever, where Belichick oh. is missing it. And right. that's what yeah. McDaniels hasn't had to work with. That's right. my only argument. Yeah. And so that's, that's why I'm going to say we need to work backwards in this. So not number one was, I think the system needs to evolve. Num well, one a is, I think Bel Belichick did realize last year that his draft does need to get more collaborative and, you know, they need to change the way they look at players probably. But, and this is the point I've been making as well. One draft does not make up for about five to six years of 
pretty mediocre drafting and a depleted roster in a lot of places. What la- what I'm going to say is, is this year's draft, the 2021 NFL draft for the New England Patriots. Yes. This is that was the reset button. Yeah. Because the Kansas City Chiefs are going through this right now. They absolutely whiffed in 2018 at the draft. And yep. that was some of their shortcomings in this season goes back to the 2018 draft. Next year, the Patriots are going to feel the 2019 draft, which was Sony Michelle gone. Right. Uh Duke Dawson gone. You know, uh, Isaiah Joan Williams. You know, I what's the part of me? Jawan Williams. Jawan Williams. You said Duke. Dawson. Sorry, Duke was the year before, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, Jawan Williams, Isaiah Wynn. This is where they're supposed to be peaking. Right. And they're not going to. This is the reset in three, mm-hmm. four years from now when Ramondre Stevenson is peaking, when Christian Barmore is peaking, when Mac Jones is peaking, hopefully Cameron McGrone peaking, possibility right. of Bledsoe peaking, um, Ronnie Perkins you know, getting to that point. So I think as Patriot fans, what I encourage is, is we can acknowledge how poor Belichick's overall drafting has been. It hasn't been a complete bust and a complete miss because we're seeing, right. we saw it with Damian Harris this year and we'll probably see even more of it next year, right? We see the 2020 draft coming into fruition now. Absolutely. It's not a complete whiff, but they whiffed on a lot. Yep. Um, and not having Nikhil Harry this season, we suffered with it. And the Patriots suffered with it in 2022 when you saw that season where they had no players because they were buying all their skilled players and they all got too expensive and left and they had no right. draft pieces left. If this is the reset and Belichick can hit the draft next year, not and he doesn't he's not going to repeat what he did this year. I want to put that on the line. He nailed the draft this year. I mean, he won the draft. The Patriots won the draft this year. Every single write-up I have seen by every analysis, every analytic site has all has the Patriots as the number one draft of this year. So the odds that they're going to be number one again next year, slim. But if they're number 10, number 15, you know, the middle of the pack, that means you're hitting on one or two guys that are going to be there in four years hit on one or two guys a year before three, four years from now, you'll see a collection of homegrown talent. That's why the Patriots suffered so much in 2020 because they had nothing. The tank, the well was dry and everybody was a free agent. Right. This has this. I'm going to look at this as the reset year and hope that going forward with the collaborative effort, keeping in mind, they have lost Dave Ziegler now. Yeah. And that's my biggest thing is that's scary to me. That is the scariest thing for a multitude of reasons. And he was the one probably the most responsible for Ronnie Perkins and Ramondre Stevenson. Plus, you have another team out there that intimately knows Bill's draft board. Now, you can always say that they may not be out for the same players. So we could, you know, but there could be one intersection point that is a pivotal, you know, if you know if the Raiders come along and take one piece, that could change the Patriots' entire ra- entire draft board potentially. I have one more question for you, and then we have to wrap this up. Sure, absolutely. If we see Josh McDaniels running the two tight end system in Las Vegas, we no, probably no, will. No, 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 no. I'm serious. Like if we see him running the two tight end system in Las Vegas, if we see him doing creative stuff, 
that he wasn't doing in New England with Derek Carr, who I would say is a very similar quarterback to Mac Jones, right? Like they're not exactly nice the same. Ball too. Pardon me. I said he throws a nice deep ball. Yeah, but if we see him doing that stuff, will it give you pause? Because it'll give me pause. Will it give you pause about maybe how much influence Belichick has on the Patriots offense? Because I know everybody's saying it was all de facto to, to Josh McDaniels. He's the head coach of the offense. He makes all the decisions. But if he starts doing things he never did in New England and starts doing the things maybe we wanted, can we not but question Bill? I mean, I think it's fair, right? And I, th- I still think it's fair to question Belichick in the sense that, again, all this responsibility falls at his feet. The one pause I will have, though, is, again, and you and I talked about this briefly, is Darren Waller is one of the best up-and-coming tight ends in the league. Like, he's in that Kyle Pitts mode of just basically big wide receiver. He was hurt this year. So, mm. and they, I have another good tight end that for some reason Gruden benched. His name escapes me at the moment, but basically, they may have right. And you're saying, Oh, I want to get one of the best tight ends in the league, you know, healthy and more involved. Okay. Well, that's a given. And you, you're saying, I want to add another um, tight end to the mix. Now, the other thing that factors in there is they don't have a great offensive line. So the two tight end system actually works for them because they can give a lot of looks with those two tight ends. And I think they could be successful with it. And plus they have a veteran quarterback. So if he has immediate success, I won't be surprised. It's if I see a lot of innovation there, that's where I'll I'll kind of question it and say, Bill, why were you doing you know, that's when I'll put it on Bill and say, Why did we see nothing but screen passes and very ineffective ones at that? So I feel like if his play calling or the play calling and the, and the system is very innovating in Vegas, I think it'd be very indicative to perhaps Bill Belichick having a little bit more say in the offense than people like you want to give him credit for right now. Fair. Yes, that's absolutely fair. And to be fair to you, I'm going off of his words, right? He he yeah. has said in the past, I fully trust Josh with this offense. I, he said effectively, I leave that to him. I don't even look at it, which I know he looks at it, right? That's that's hyperbole. But yeah, I'll, I'll absolutely think it's fair to question Belichick and say what's going on. Although again, reports are that even Bill Bill realizes that the Patriots offense needs to change a little bit. So yeah, well, and again, again, I think I think some we'll of it's see. team building. I think some of it's team building. I also don't believe it was Josh McDaniel's decision to bench Ramondre Stevenson. That was the Bill Belichick decision, no, which which doesn't give Josh McDaniels his one hundred percent. You know what I mean? And I will say that we got to see Isaiah McKenzie once this year. And look what Josh McDaniels did. Or not Isaiah McKenzie. Um, who was the guy in training camp that we thought was going to be? Oh, Christian Wilkerson. Sorry, Christian, Christian, Christian Wilkerson. We saw him once this year. Isaiah McKenzie, basically. Yeah. Yes, yes. My apologies. But Christian yeah. Wilkerson this year. Now, he does have a drop problem. And we saw that in that game. He dropped it in the end zone. But look what he was able to do with him. And yet that kid was always on the practice squad and that kid was always inactive. I don't believe that's a Josh McDaniels well, decision. Well, I, I do think the Patriots are good at using different players right like we talked about isaiah zuber last year but the problem to me and again is this more of a johnny smith problem i uh johnny was about as productive as isaiah zuber was to me you know a couple of years ago so it's 
it's interesting. It's it's going to be an interesting argument as we watch kind of what develops for both teams. I'm giving you the signal, Mike. Yes, you are. <laughs> I'm at an hour and 10 minutes and 46 seconds. So for three straight days, I'm going to get in trouble. But that was a good conversation. Uh, yeah, producer Mike, thanks for coming in, man. See you tomorrow. Yeah, guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Come join the Patreon. Have fun. Patreon hangout tomorrow. Round two. Ding, ding. At least that's what I told everybody. Can we clear the chat, please, Mike? Uh, at least that's what I told everybody. Uh, Ross in here, Mike in here. I'm we'll a big scream, big screaming match, but Josh McDaniels probably not. Thanks for coming in, guys. Appreciate y'all. I thought that was a good show tonight. Got some of your questions in. Got to my two topics. Got the Patreon in. Only had one technical difficulty, and it wasn't my Wi-Fi tonight. It was literally just the broadcasting thing. Lost my headphones. Guys, make sure you go uh, check out Ultra Game. They're our, our partners, man. Fully licensed NFL apparel. Not knockoff. Not, you know, selling when they're not supposed to. No fake logos. You get the NFL embroidery. You get the little, you know, hologram sticker that proves that it's licensed. Go check it out. Links in the description. One of the largest distributors of licensed NFL apparel in North America. Go get geared up with Ultra Game. Make sure you uh, download the Newsbreak app. Left link in the description. It's uh, an absolute free app. It gets all your local news. You can search for news, see my content, see Lawrence's content, see other people's content. I'm trying to get Mario and hashtag on over there. It's a good time. Download with the link I left in the description. Again, transparency. I get some kickback every time you guys download it. Check out the app. It's absolutely free. It takes 30 seconds. It's the best way or easiest way to support the show. Download that Newsbreak app with the link I left in the description. And of course, uh, we are members of the Dean Blundell Podcast Network. Go check out DeanBlundell.com. Over 100 content creators and podcasts over at DeanBlundell.com. Love being over there. I will be on uh, the Dean Blundell Show this Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time uh, talking about the Super Bowl with them. And uh, you can go check out my blogs over there. I wrote one today. And uh, make sure you go to RayRoute.com. Videos. I think I released like eight videos today over at rayroute.com so go check it out r-a-y-r-a-u-t-h.com uh the new last night's podcast episode is there with all the rs links and all the different places you can get it we put a blog out we got a merch store over there there's even a content sec contact section where you can send me a uh, a contact section where you can directly send me an email and one of the coolest things on my site is you can actually leave me a voicemail you can there's a little you'll see it you, you go click on it just go to contact. It'll have a little microphone. You can leave me a voicemail. It'll get directly emailed to me. I'll be able to get back to you. So if you want to come tell me to F off or I'm a loser or I don't know nothing about football or I'm fat or whatever, you know, it is what it is. And uh, don't forget, come check us out on Discord. We have a we have a Discord. I was in there the other day telling people to go F themselves. Mike says that it, uh, Mike said if I continue to go tell people off that it'll, more people will, will watch the show. So go check it out. Um, I think that's about it. Um... I hope that everybody is getting the podcast because I just changed my host from Anchor to Megaphone, which is a, a, a better Spotify hosting spot. Uh, lost 40 episodes, which sucks, but uh, we're back up and running and good. Um, so we go from like episode 179 to like episode 220. It's, it's awful. But uh, go check it out. RayRoute.com. DeanBlundell.com. And uh, 
I'm forgetting something. What am I forgetting? Oh, yeah. You're all legit, kid. Listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.